Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about No Time to Die. Daniel Craig's fifth and final James Bond movie. Spoilers will be coming up. Mm. Um, and this is from the Canby Sport. And I wanted to start maybe with something that we were remarking upon in the car on the way back from the cinema. Which is that I think one of the reasons this can be spoiled so intensely is that I don't think James Bond has been this serialised before. That's my. I've actually not seen all the films. I've seen very few of them. Um, but my my impression has always been, you know, there's a pool of characters that they dip into. We were saying, you know, there's Felix Leiter, there's Vesper Lynn, things like that. But these last five films, the Craig films, have actually been reasonably serial, increasingly serialized. In fact, mm. the, the development of the kind of understanding of Blofeld's plot and figuring out who he is and that kind of thing. Mm. The Leia Seydoux character comes into it, and her story really carries on from the last film, which she develops a relationship with Bond. I mean, I would go even a bit further and go and say that, you know, the Bond uh, elements have been changed so much that it really doesn't feel like a Bond film to me at all. Okay. Right? So, you know, in spite of Q and in spite of M, you know, and in spite of the secretary, in spite of the gadgets, right, like those are the things that you, you get from series to series, there's a sense in which they've changed it so much that it doesn't feel like a Bond film for me. What feels like a Bond film for you? And, and well, do you think it's something that this film lacks, and you know could use? And what is it that you think makes it a Bond film, or doesn't make it a Bond film? Well, I mean, you know, Bond films had very specific structures, right? Like, you know, there was always like the sexy kind of preamble, mm-hmm. yeah, where you know uh, there's an attempt to kill Bond, and then there is like, you know, the spectacular, triumphant getaway. There's a little bit of that, except. You know, it's not triumphant and joyful and, yeah. Mm. And then at the end, it was always like, you know, the jokey addendum, yeah, mm. kind of, you know, Roger Moore with, uh, you know, the, the Bond girl in a raft somewhere in a tropical place drinking a, a yeah. martini or champagne or something, right? The classic one was um, Pierce Brosnan with Christmas Jones, which was the Denise Richards character, I think, mm. and, the, and he's fucking her. And the joke is, um, I thought Christmas only came once a year. Yes. And that's when people in like 1997 were going, fucking hell, this has really run its course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, you can understand why there have been changes made. But actually, I think a question is, when you make so many changes, does it it remain a bond film or does it become something else? And actually, I think there's a sense in which, to me, this is something else. Right? Like, uh, there were moments where I thought were mawkish the scene at the end where the camera cuts from person to person to person to person, you know, in this kind of triumphalist morning of, da- you know, Daniel Craig's Bond, which I thought would oh, fucking give me a break. You know, the idea of Bond having a child and a family, you know, oh, give me a break. You know, this idea of self-sacrifice or whatever, like, you know, Bond was always cool because you always felt like these things kind of didn't much matter to him, right? You know? This was uh, definitely something that I was thinking about. Because the Bond I'm really familiar with before Craig is Pierce Brosnan. I don't think I've seen a single one of the other films all the way through, but Brosnan's I have, and he's the one I grew up with in the mm. 90s. And I always really liked him. And you know, for you were remarking again in the car, you feel he's a little bit underrated. Um, you were I do, yeah. And the thing about him, certainly, and probably the rest of the Bonds, is that Bond 
their bonds don't really take things very seriously. Like the thing about Daniel Craig's bond that I think is a hallmark of his version of the character is that he can be outraged, and he regularly is. Mm. He's outraged with the way that the, the establishment is working, things they fuck up, and things like that. You can't imagine Pierce Brosnan's bond reacting to kind of institutional fuck ups the way that Craig's does. Yeah. He would laugh it off. Well, and Sean Connery's Bond, which is the one that I love the most, right? You get the sense that it comes from another generation. It's a generation that has lived through the war. Mm. Lots of shit happens, right? And, you know, the whole idea is to kind of maintain your cool, to, like, <laughs> you know, tread lightly over thin ice. Keep right? calm and carry on. Yeah, a little bit of that. But also, you know, there's authority and you, you pretend that you're, yeah, mm. you give lip service to it, but then you do what you need to do, mm. right? So there's a whole kind of series of attitudes, which, you know, are obviously from the last century and maybe it's time to change or, you know, I'm not saying that kind of, you know, that it... Uh, uh, that no changes need to be made, but I I like the old I like Sean Connery's Bond. I love the colors. Uh, you know, it was always like bright and poppy and azure blues and reds that were in your face. You know, it was like a kind of a a feel good look. Yeah, mm. it also had a little bit of um, of a travel log about it. Sure. Right, yeah. you went to the Bahamas, you went to this, but it was all like cool, sexy places that, you know, the majority of an audience would never be able to afford to walk through. All of those elements are not here, right? Like, you mm. know, so you go into the hotel in, in Cuba, right? But it's not there in its own right as an eye-catching place to, to want to be in, right? Sure. It's dark. It's, you know, I mean, everything about this film, I hated the photography of it because, again, it was, like, so gray and dark and... You know, I, oh, I don't think that was true. Oh, I thought it was so great. I thought everything tended towards the metallic, right? Even the, those scenes in Havana, right? Or in, I think it was Santiago, actually. It wasn't in Havana. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, Cuba is a, is a tropical country. You could have made all of that appealing and still brought darkness and mm -hmm. tension and danger into it. But uh, even uh, bits that were meant to be uh, tropical were tinged with grey for me. Mm. Even the the shots of London, you know, they're all kind of dark, well, that is, that is how London always looks in these things. I mean, that's the thing, like, London is the boring place that you have to go back to report in and then you go back out to the middle of the Cuban world. But um, I think, all right, I, I think so you might have a point with the colour palette choices, but I really thought the look of the film was appealing. I really liked the the, the, the shot selections. Yeah, I think it's a film that's been very carefully constructed visually. I, at the beginning of the film, yeah, when I saw, uh, I thought, oh my God, who's this filmmaker? Because right? I hadn't registered who made it. Mm. Um, because, you know, there were moments with the mask. You know, there was the moment where the girl went running through the ice. Yeah, that I thought mm. were like, you know... Very beautiful. And There's very... that use of that the long lens on that bridge, that, yeah. which which looks. Remember the snowman had a bridge. It may even be the same bridge. It looks mm. just. It looks just as incredible with that long. But actually, you remind me now because those scenes in Italy, yeah, where uh, at the beginning of the film mm -hmm. with Lea Seydoux, you know, it's tinged with grey, right? Like, I mean, it's Italy. You know, the sky should be like super blue. You know, the mountains. The buildings will all be have a particular like terracotta color leaning to white. This was like 
greyish. Uh, I mean, I, nothing, none of that, nothing like that occurred to me. Okay. Put it that way. I mean, for me, it looked like it looked beautiful, and mm. it didn't look like it was um, doing anything of that nature to me. Nothing jumped out at me like that. But you may have a point. I don't know. Um, um, and actually, I was really glad as well that you know, because you look at a couple of the more recent previous Bonds, and um, they really, I think they used the team from the Bourne films, and so they really kind of, <laughs> I think Bourne really changed things, and uh, to coin a phrase, shook things up, because mm. that's what everything started to do after that in action, really yeah. shook the cameras up, and this doesn't have that, it settles it down, it finds a shot that it, you know, those, those films, and that look is all about snatching a shot. And this is about preparing a shot. Sure. Which but, I really like. And actually, I think the action's some of the best I've seen in Bond. Uh, the action was good. I, I mean, I feel very ambivalent. I like the film, but I didn't like it for what I like Bond for. You know, I thought it could have just been any kind of action film, really. It changes so much of what Bond is about as to be something else. Now, you know, that might be uh, not a bad thing. Um... But I thought it was kind of, you know, worth uh, worth stating, even though the film tries to weave the whole of the Bond legacy into it, from snatches of song, bits of dialogue. It's a film that's very, very, very interested in its own history as a Ab- series. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's certainly with um, Skyfall, like the whole back end of Skyfall was going to his childhood home mm. uh, in Scotland I think it was and you know the, the reveal of the Aston Martin DB5 which was from earlier films and that kind of thing he thought god this is like it's, it's partly for the fans but it's also really upset it's got a feeling of self importance to it mm. but actually I find quite unattractive yes I, I that's a very good way of putting it I agree um, um, I start, actually this film, I, so I wasn't really looking forward to this very much I, I didn't dread it or anything I just thought I'm not that crazy about Bond really mm. and I've always sort of resented the implication that I should be which I felt a little bit and like I said to you uh, I was chatting to Celia a couple of days ago and she said are you going to see the new Bond and I said yeah and she went I always thought you'd be interested in Bond and I, went, eh. and I said why because I was expecting her to say something like oh, it's because it's an English action movie and there's a kind of national identity thing going on with it and what she said was, because it's got cars and girls and guns and gadgets. And I was like, all oh, right, so what you're saying is I'm a straight guy. Mm. You know, like, it's not, it's not that specific to, like, that sort I know, of but I think um, that's... I th- I, but to me, like, saying, saying, oh, you must be interested in Bond, to me, has always felt a little bit like being told I must be interested in cricket. You know? Well, um, no, I mean, I think it's different because, uh, you know, if you're interested in popular culture, you are really, yeah, it, it's, it's about the popular, right? And... I, I am interested in popular culture, and how could you ignore, you know, one of the most financially successful and socially influential series, you know, in the last 50 years? I mean, I do think that there is kind of, you know, something in that. Right, but the point is to say that, well, everyone then is interested in it if it's that big and popular, so why is the implication that, well, I must be? Do you know what I mean? They always okay, felt yeah, like, fine. well, I must have some particular interest, and I never really felt that I did. Well, I'm not um, that interested in gadgets or girls or cars and whatever, and I've always been interested in Bond. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think, you know, um, but Bond offers other things as yeah. well. So, uh, but, you know, so I, I wasn't that crazy about this, and also I knew it was the best part of three hours long. Mm. And then it starts, and you get this scene with the young Laissez Do, and a vague and brief introduction to this villain, but it's very unusual, and I really liked it. And then you get the introduction I, to I Bond. Really like who, that. You get the introduction to Bond, who's been retired for five years at this point. Mm. Um, 
Well, sorry, no, he, he, he breaks up with Lesnar and then it's five years later. But then, right, that's... And you get this action scene, you get this development of the drama, thinking, wow, this is like, I'm really enjoying this. Well, let me, let me interject before you continue. Mm. Because I really liked uh, the opening scene. I really loved the style sequence, actually. Well, this know. is what I was getting to. <laughs> ah. <laughs> it's not that I didn't like the titles. You know, it, they kind of look pretty. But what I hated, what really... When we go, oh, fuck this was it doesn't just say you know, no time to die or whatever. It comes in with these like brown and yellow dots on screen which look and are designed to look very 60s, 70s graphics. Mm. And it says Albert R. Broccoli presents mm. Daniel Craig as James Bond in No Time to Die. And I thought, oh, fuck you. Do you know what I mean? That thing of the self-importance of it. The, oh, the Albert R. Broccoli. It really turned me off. It really well, turned we were me focusing off. on completely different things because I was focusing on the symbolism of it, you know, and the song and the image of Rule Britannia kind of sinking in the sand, you know, and I thought not only a sign of how times have changed and how Bond has changed, you know, but also I thought there was something cheap about it, yeah. But it was kind of too statementy, yeah. Mm. Um, because that is the image, right? It's Rule Britannia sinking. I actually wasn't even looking at that. <laughs> You're missing the most important thing. I wasn't even looking at that. I'll tell you what I was doing. I was listening to Billie Eilish yawn her way through the most dreary song. It was even. I mean, Skyfall song was better than this, and that was just as yawny. I liked it. Oh, dreary fucking shit. But then. You know, it, it it did start to pick up for me again after that, which again I was surprised by because well, I always lost me. I was glad that this is going to be the last Daniel Craig film, because you know those scenes in the car with Leia Sedu, yeah, at the beginning, I thought you know he's old enough to be her grandfather, like <laughs> you know the age disparity, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which wasn't evident to me or I didn't notice it, yeah, in the last film, in this one. It really felt like, mm. yeah. I agree with you. Um, I, I want to think about it, just look a little bit, because when you think about when he came out of the water, in the, mm. uh, it was the first one we did, right? Mm. He came out of the water and he had those those trunks on, yeah. and his big man boobs he had and everything. Mm. Um, you know, that was, he looked great. He looked great, and, and is, he was already in his 40s or something. You know, he, he wasn't There's he no wasn't shot young. like that here. There's no shot like that here. Well, for I good like, reason. Yeah. Right, but, and this is, but actually, I even think like, it's not that he's unattractive looking or anything he's like that. He's very attractive. But there's, there's a way that his clothes, apart from when he's in like the tuxedo maybe, where he really, you know, he looks the Bond part. When he's dressed in other stuff, he's just sort of like casual things on. The clothes seem to sort of hang off him a little bit. He looks kind of thin and worn and gaunt. It's, I think it's part of what the character is really meant to be evoking now. Like he's coming to the end of, he's been retired for five years for one thing. You know, he's kind of, physically, he's not quite Bond anymore. And then what you get to is, oh, well, he is still Bond. Well, I think also that's another thing which I think the films have deviated from. Because in the past, you know, how Bond looked, yeah, the clothes he wore and so on were very important to defining who he was, right? Mm. And who we thought of as Bond, yeah? It was the tux, right? Um, or, or if not the tux, some sharp suit or, yeah, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, people uh, uh, watched Bond to have an idea of what to wear like you know even in the scenes like in you know in Doctor Now where it's all like polo shirts and slacks right yeah there's an attention to clothes and this one it seems very careless about I mean 
you know, there wasn't a single outfit that uh, Daniel Craig wore that I thought, oh, you know, must get that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, yeah, like I say, that is that is what they're trying to do with the character. They're trying to. Uh, I mean, I, I I really did like I liked where they went with the character. Right, they they made him retired and they gave him different reasons to be interested in that kind of thing. And then the fact, the idea of giving away his number in his retirement to another, you know, to another bond. Kind of cheap. <laughs> what, was, uh, what do you mean cheap? Well, you know, because they've given his name away. You you always have the idea of like Cristiano Ronaldo's number seven when watching this, actually. Uh, yeah, but of course, they kind of mitigated because the new 007 is like you know this beautiful sharp black woman, and then kind of they use that as a kind of an anti-racist thing at the end with the villain in a way that I also thought was very cheap. Um, how do you mean? Well, she says, uh, I could use this to kill all your people in West Africa or whatever. And she just kicks him out and kicks him in the bridge and kills him. Mm. You know, which I thought was like a crowd-pleasing but really cheap you know, mm. kind of thing. And this is, so, you know, this is a Bond that isn't interested in clothes, that isn't interested in cocktails, and that actually isn't really interested in, in sex. No. It's the it's the least sexy Bond. It's not playful about it, you know. So you could argue that like Bond was always like a bit of a misogynist and what whatever, you know. And of course it's true, you know. Uh, but I thought what was appealing about Bond was that he was an unapologetically interested in sex, yeah, in all his varieties, and you know, kind of you know that's one of the things that I loved about it was like, yeah, sex as fun has no place in this movie. No. And actually, the Bond girl in this is uh, Anna de Armas, who... Oh, I thought was wonderful, by the way. She's stunning, and she's very good, but she's in it for fucking ten minutes. You know, like, the Bond girl sticks around, right? That's the yeah. point, right? She's the sidekick, and this, it, it does away with that. He doesn't fuck her. Yeah. <laughs> He's, you know, she gets to kick ass in a couple of shots. Which is wonderful Which I loved, yeah, but two shots. They're beautifully done, and she brings a boost of energy into them. Actually, you know... It's almost like... But don't you find her disappointment? Because she's not there for very long. Well, it's this thing, if if you don't see it as a Bond film, then it's not a disappointment, because, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's... it's, And I do think that there's an argument to be made that this has changed so much that it's not really a Bond film, because, you know, all those <laughs> things that, we're t- that I'm talking about, you know, are, are very embedded into the DNA of what a Bond film is, right? Like, you know, this film has almost no humour, yeah? You take away the humour, you take away the sex. Oh, no, I thought it was full of humour. Did you? Oh, yeah, no, I laughed a lot. I mean, I think they're deliberate jokes. I wasn't just laughing at bad things. I laughed at I, I, jokes. I, I did laugh, but... Um, the the, the, the humour comes a little that, bit less from Daniel Craig than it otherwise would. Like I said, you know, Pierce Brosnan would laugh things off and always make a joke about something, and that's true probably of the other Bonds. Daniel Craig's Bond is less... Inclined to yeah, do that, and humour comes from other. Have a laugh in them, actually. Humour <laughs> comes from other situations, um, and other other means. But it's a film that's full of laughs, even if the character isn't. Um, I I don't think it's full of laughs. I think obviously it has a few, but I don't think that many, and certainly not a light-hearted film. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of the villain, Rami Malek? I love him. Uh, actually. You see, the, so I'm making it sound as if I didn't like the film, and I really, I, I really did. Actually, I thought it had 
a, a better kind of supporting lineup than almost any other Bond film that I can see. So, you know, you were talking about, you know, the Bond girl, and then there's Leia Seydoux, and then there's the scientist, who I thought was wonderful, and then there's Christoph Waltz, and Ray Fiennes, and, like, you know, kind of every every part is played by, like, a real, you know, fantastic mm -hmm. actor who's given a little bit to do, even if the role is very small, mm -hmm. yeah? So that was all, like, uh, wonderful. I love seeing Christoph Waltz again. You know, he was brilliant, and he got some laughs. Uh, and I thought René Malik was wonderful. I thought, you know, his face, his presence, he chose to do something, like, completely different because he was very still, very quiet, very stylized, you know, uh, very threatening, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I loved him. What do you think of the construction of the character, not the, just the performance? Oh, the characters are nothing. I mean, I, I had a real problem with it, actually. Because yeah. I was saying to you just before the film began, I was like, oh, they take him so, so seriously now. Why can't you just get back to someone who wants to blow up the world? And then you get this character who does want to blow up the world, and I wasn't into him. Yeah. You know, because you get this whole thing about his, his relationship with the Les Do character. He's the one who kills her, her mum and then saves her at the start and then comes back this years later. And the whole thing is that Les Do's dad... This Mr. White, who apparently has been in previous films, but I didn't fucking know and mm -hmm. recognise him. But he's part of the serialisation of the Craig films. Um, her dad was working for Blofeld and killed uh, Rami Malek's entire family. Right? Mm. So Rami Malek holds a grudge. That's why he kills her mum at the start. And then ultimately he manages to use the Seydoux to kill Blofeld. Mm. And you're like, okay, so Blofeld's the guy he was after, right? He's got what he wanted. And then, he, and then he just carries on being a nasty piece of work to people. And then he, he he's also sort of poison ivy, because he has these plants that he can control people's minds with and shit like this. And he has a, you know, a lair out in the middle of nowhere on this island, which is a very bondy thing. Um, and he's got the facial disfigurement and stuff. But you get this thing, there's this uh, MacGuffin throughout the whole film, which is this thing called Heracles, which is a British sort of biological super weapon that means you can... Uh, very uh, selectively kill individuals based on their DNA, right? So he uses that to take out Spectre and take out Blofeld. And then he goes, well, I can just take out the whole world with this. And I'm like, I, I think it would be fun, you know, and that's a great thing for Bond to try and stop. Mm. But where's the motivation for this character to do this? It's nonsensical. That's true that he's not given a motivation. And usually, you know, in a Bond film, the motivation would have been very simple, like money. Right. <laughs> like, you know, Money, or revenge, power. or power. Yeah, His motivation ultimately is revenge, but once the revenge has been executed, he's left with no more motivation, yet he carries on. That's the issue. Yeah. Right? You know, and he talks about free will a bit, and you're that, like... Well, it, it didn't bother... I mean, those things didn't, uh, didn't bother me at all. I mean, I think what bothered me was the self-important tone, the portentousness of it all, the self-mythologizing of the Bond series... Mm. And the darkness of look. And the fact that it wasn't um, playful. I mean, I, I think it was probably a little more playful than you were thinking. And you do say you had a good time. So, you know, what, so I suppose despite all that, then what, was, what were you enjoying? Um, well, as I said, I mean, I, I enjoyed the action. I enjoyed, you know, a, a, a lot of the set pieces. I enjoyed the actors very much. Um, the story kept on moving. I thought... You know, um, I yeah, that's all. I mean, kind <laughs> of, you know. Uh, but I do think of as of Bond as being something else. Yeah. Did it maintain your interest for its duration? There was a moment where I looked at my watch where I thought it's just going on for too long. Do you remember when the bounce that was? Uh, near the end. Um, I, I I definitely 
sort of started to drop off in the latter half of the film. And certainly when he's talking to Blofeld, I think it was, um, which is probably not that far into the film. That's maybe a halfway point thing. I was I, like a conversation was going on between Bond and Blofeld, and I'm like I haven't followed any of this. Yeah. I just really dropped. Just, mm. just completely. for me, I think the moment was when he goes back to Lea Sedu mm. and discovers the that child. she has a child that might be his. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, the, the action scene that follows that, where they're trying to take him out and they go through the woods, I thought was terrific. Yeah. And then maybe it's after that for me that I started to, to doze off a bit as well. Um, and there's, there's definitely stuff with Romney Malek's character where I'm going, I have no interest in this guy. I thought he was riveting. I wasn't even... The, those concerns of yours didn't, didn't even cross my mind. I was just so interested in watching him. But you just didn't think, why is he doing this? Mm, no. How has he got the money? I mean, it's a Bond film. <laughs> you don't ask those questions. I definitely... You've got to, where, 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 where does he get the money? <laughs> He's stolen it, you fool. <laughs> you know, where's he getting the money? Where's he get the power? Who's he, where's he come from? You get this thing about his family's been killed, but he's like nobody. So he's, he's come up from somewhere. I want to. I want to know a little bit about that. Mm. You do. You do get in the Bond films. You do get. Oh, this guy. He comes from here. You know. You get like the backstory, and maybe in like some briefing, or in this case, it would probably come from Leo Sedu. But there's not a lot of it. It's just. Oh, he's a really bad dude. I. I don't think that's enough and the Bond villain is one of those things you get the, you know, the Bond card the Bond gun the Bond gadget the Bond villain every film this the girl is not done justice and the villain is really lacking mm. I don't think the villain is lacking I really loved him though of course you know he is split in two because yeah it's Christopher Waltz and uh, sure yeah uh, there's a couple of villains but yeah. he's the main one because he takes Actually, out I think, I think that's the problem with the film you know there's a couple of villains there's a wife versus Bond girl. Mm. Uh, um, um, That's what these films have been doing. There's in Craig. two 007s. Like in, in, like, in the Craig films, there has gen- generally been, at least with the villains, there's been like the villain in this film and then the underlying story, which is this like long story to do with Spectre and Blofeld and so on, and that which you gradually learn about through the course of the films. Well, Each one as well. I mean, I think... Um, there's a mismatch because I think this is a film that is trying to be serious about things, you know, whereas actually kind of the whole point of the Bond films is that it's not serious, that it's playful. Mm. You know, I mean, it could be uh, uh, communicating something serious about the world, you know, but it, but not by taking itself seriously, right? Mm. Uh, and actually, I don't even think it did that, Bond. Um, so, you know, I, th- I just think there's none of the gleefulness or the playfulness <laughs> of the colorfulness of the wit, yeah, of the, mm. you know, the lines, yeah, uh, the gags, um, there's almost no visual gags either, which, I mean, mind you, I didn't like the visual gags much in the Roger Moore ones anyway. <laughs> they were always like kind of a bit too stupid, campy, mm. um, so, so I don't know. Anyway, I'm glad I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I saw it, and it was better than I thought it would be. And the, the, you know, for most of the film, I was having a really good time. Mm. Ultimately, you know, um, I'm not someone who's massively invested in Bond, but you know, you have to admit, certainly as an English person, that Bond is important. Like Bond is one of our major cultural exports over mm. the last fifty, sixty, seventy years. Mm. Um, and he's and he and the character and the 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 style and everything that he communicates is kind of embedded in 
in British culture and comes from British. But you culture. know, I, I used to I used to tease my students about that because you know, and it's true, you know, that when I saw the Bond films both on television and in the cinema, you know, beginning in the seventies in Canada, I never thought of them as British films at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they were too, like, big budget and colorful and they traveled all over the world and, mm. you know, it looked like an expensive American... It looked and felt like an expensive American film, basically. Mm. You know, kind of going through international locations. I mean, you know, I, uh, that you have an M or an MI5 or whatever, that's like, I don't know, the equivalent of, you know, for setting something else and, and you know, a, I don't know, a Jules Verne film or around the world in 80 days or whatever, you said it in London, but really, it could, be, yeah. uh, it could have been in Paris or Tokyo. Or, mm. Yeah, like the English, the British thing well, was never it, as important to me, let's say, as people my age who are British. <laughs> no, sure. Um, but I mean, as a kind of cultural export, they are, they're definitely communicating something about Britain and well, Britishness and, and something that we want something that we value about ourselves, right? And how we want the world to see us. I think it would be very interesting to do kind of like a, a cross-cultural uh, comparison about that because even to say it's an export, I mean, you know, it's a film that was entirely financed by either MGM or United Artists, right? Okay. So the money is American, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, I get it. It's MI5, there's a picture of the Queen. Yeah, some of them are even set in former colonies. Uh, yeah, but that's not really quite what I'm talking about. I do get what you're talking about, like as a production, as mm. productions, they are. It takes American money <laughs> mm. to do something like Bond. Mm. Um, but I mean, as as something about national identity and and um, the, like I say, the way we see ourselves and that kind of thing. Like Bond, you know, we don't we don't look at Bond the same way we look at like Fast and Furious, right? Fast and Furious is American culture, sure, sure, and and Bond is. British culture or a version of British culture and, and that's a, that's something that you grow up in this country having a relationship with whether you like it or not. Yes, I'm just saying that, you know, I never felt that way about it. Yeah. You know, uh, now, it could just be me, right? But, I, th- I, you know, from what even I remember, I mean, um, I don't remember the films being reviewed, mm. you know, in the light of their Britishness or as British cinema or anything like that. I mean, it was just... You know the latest Hollywood release. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. so now I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I just think that there's an interesting mm. difference culturally in yeah how it's approached and it's perceived and it's valued and it's read. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because here I think all the things that you say about yeah are 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 right from here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've never had I've never had that feeling that oh, I must go and watch all of these in order, which I think some people get. Mm. Um, I've, I've you know <laughs> Bond. I don't know if it still is because I don't watch live TV much anymore. But certainly on live TV, Bond was always on on like a Sunday afternoon. It was mm. the thing on ITV. There'd be a Bond film. Yes, I loved watching them. And I always found it so easy to turn them off. No, oh, I love them. Um, and I don't think it was like a like a objection to Bond or Churchill or anything. I just thought it was not interesting. Mm. Um, well, there's so many things we to show. I mean, I, you know, I'm just remembering that Loyola Chapman has just written a book on Bond's clothes, on suits, <laughs> you know, and who made them and the influence that they had. And I mean, I haven't read the book yet, right? But it's a whole book on, you know, Bond suits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You could imagine a similar thing being done on the cars or, yeah, yeah, you sure. know, kind of so many different things. 
Um, I'm sure they have been. Yeah, the cars are exclusively Aston Martin now. Like they flirted with BMW in the nineties when obviously they were getting German money because yes. they paid the most. And it's like no, 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 no. I remember, the, I remember the British press at the time. I was very young, but I definitely remember like outcry against the BMW Seven Series or whatever the fuck he was driving mm. in one of those films. I thought no, absolutely not. And now it's like just like Aston Martin exclusively. It has to be because that is the height of Britishness. Yes. Well, you know, I think there was also maybe a similar thing when. It went from Savile Row to, like, Brioni suits or whatever, right? Mm. Um, but, anyway, this film has none of that. It's got Aston. It's got several. No, I know, but... <laughs> I know what you mean, though. It's not uh, showing off the way those other things... I, I think, to be, a, to be to be fair, I think it does show off the car still. No, I, I think even the car, you never get the sense of, ooh, look at this car, you know, isn't it sleek and gorgeous? And look at the plush interior, and look how it drives. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is like, you have the car come in, and bloom, bullets are being, you know, kind of uh, thrown. And well, the, and the, the thing case... about that first car is not about the car, it's about what Q has done to the car to make it so, you know, impregnable. Well, and it's also about it being the history of Bond, because mm. it's an old, it's a DB5 yeah, 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 from sure. the old days, and it's like, it's the, cla- it's, uh, you know, because that's the reason everyone always wanted to drive an Aston Martin, was because it was the Bond car mm. from the old days. And that's one of the reasons that Aston Martin is is the brand that it is. Mm. You know, they are completely inseparable. So that's a big part of why that car remains so kind of integral to these films. And the future of Bond is likely to be, well, I assume it will be, because she's been introduced here, uh, Lashana Lynch. I don't think so. No? No. They'll recast or they'll find something else? I think they'll find... Um, well, hopefully they'll find some big star or you know someone with the potential to be a big star who will do it. I think it would be great if it was a woman. I can't imagine that this is the woman... I think it would be great if it would be like a, a person of colour, you know. Uh, you just don't think she in particular has no. what it takes? No. Mm. You know, I wouldn't bet 200 million <laughs> on this actress, even if she was very good. But I don't think she has the charisma, you know, to... You no, know. I think you're right about that. She she has one uh, kind of Bond line where she um, kills the scientist and she says, um, do you know what time it is? And he goes, no. She goes, time to die. He's yeah. like, you need to work on your lines. That is <laughs> not a funny line. Bond has better lines than this. <laughs> no. It'll be a measure to how responsive, you know, the producers are to see what they do, you know, with it next. I mean, because, you know, that image of Britannia sinking in the sand, right? And also this um, suggestion in the film, you know, that we live in a different world, that the government is corrupt and that my government now isn't talking to your government. And mm-hmm. yeah, like, yeah. So there is like a whole sense of, you know, the world is all of, is also not what it was. Obviously the cold war is over, but you know, the U S is no longer a place of integrity and neither is Britain a place of honor. So mm. all of the way that business used to be communicated, at least to the audience, you know, is altered. So I wonder, you know, how that's going to play out in the future, if yeah, if at all. Kind of, mm. you know, what assumptions of a world order and modes of behaving. Who are the good guys? Yeah, because... It's true. And that it's, it, Ray finds his M kind of crystallises a lot of that. Yeah. And his is an interesting character. Mm. Um, he's sort of, he's quite reactive and likes to keep his secrets, but mm. he is a spy. But... 
you know, if you think about the previous M's, it was, you know, Queen and Country and all of this. And I suppose Ray Fiennes does have that, but mm. he's, he's someone who's kind of out of control somehow. Yes. Mm. I mean, I think basically, you know, the world is so altered, you know, because one of the things that you have now is rogue corporations who are beyond the boundaries of, of nation states, right? So, but if you have the narrative being about competing uh, corporate uh, powers, you know, then where do, do questions, where do, where do moral or ethical questions come in, yeah? Who's mm. right? What are you fighting for? Right? You can't just be fighting for my corporation making the money, right? Like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, now, you know, to have, like, a government vis-a-vis corporate power, that might make an interesting kind of uh, thing, though perhaps it's already been done many times. Yeah. Um, Bond taking down Facebook. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Disinformation Um, and all of that. I don't know. Um, But you just think that nation states warring against each other or even blocks warring against each other is, Mm. is not a contemporary framework for understanding you know, actions, yeah. No, absolutely. Although I suppose, I mean, the thing is that Bond villain has always been an individual acting. Yeah, and and also, uh, Bond villains have always had that corporate element. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of, it's an individual acting. I mean, it used to be for the Russians, say, but actually the villain was always a bit roguish exactly. in relation to, to you know... The, uh, it really was selfishly motivated to have more power and more money. Um, so so that corporate element, you know, was always there. But as was a clear delineation of what was right, which was like an Anglo-American, you know, way of doing things in the service of democracy and the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's uh, what is under question. Yeah. So, um, yeah. anyway, we should wrap up. So, uh, and final thoughts? Well, I recommend that people see it. I mean, I had a really good time. Yes. And I suppose, in a sense, I'm glad that it's wrapping up. I, it, I, ha- I have liked how these last few films have been serialised, to return to that. Um, and I think it's worked. But I also miss when each film just stood on its own and you can mm. just dip into a James Bond film. This one, he's taking down the news corporation. This one, it's the oil pipeline. You know, no, nothing had any relationship to anything else. You know, I think one of the things we haven't talked about, and I don't want to talk about it, but I just want to at least <laughs> mention it, is a, a contrast to the Mission Impossible films. Mm-hmm. You know, because the Mission Impossible films are really old-fashioned, right? In the sense that they have their formula, they have their mission, mm. yeah, the mission is clearly delineated, right? And then they go resolve it, yeah, kind of, when you go to Vienna, you admire Vienna, when you see the <laughs> opera house, what a beautiful opera house of this action thing. Yeah, mm. uh, so actually it's interesting that a more modern iteration of something quite similar, because I think Mission Impossible was actually uh, designed in relation to uh, Bond. Yeah, it was a way of... But it came after it, right? It like, came after it, but it was a way of having a, an American, mm. you know, a view of it, right? It's about a mission, you go accomplish it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think it's interesting that uh, I find the, the Mission Impossible films so much more exciting you know, than, than these bonds. And it's interesting that they are ones who stick much more closely to the formula. Mm. 
you, you kind of feel find like... more imaginative you know ways of uh, uh, fulfilling that formula yeah? I think there's um, arguably more pressure on Bond certainly in, in the press and the kind of cultural consciousness there's pressure on Bond and what's he going to do next there's been all this talk about is the next Bond going to be black is mm. the next Bond going to be female and that's very very important whereas the next Ethan Hunt whoever that might be in Mission Impossible that's not a that's not a question anyone asked, you know. But next Ethan Hunt. <laughs> you kidding? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that, you never think of that as a question in, in something else, whereas it's very important here. And like I say, the thing about, oh, they had a BMW in 1995. No, 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 no. Yes. Um, so there's definitely pressure on Bond to do those things. And maybe that's why it's... Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an end to that sentence. Yes. And I think it's good <laughs> that you don't have an end to that sentence because... I mean, I'm only guessing, you know, and I'm not, again, um, minimizing, you know, the importance of the film's Britishness. But I do think you have to keep things in proportion, right? Because, you know, people here are not invested in the Mission Impossible films because the Mission Impossible films are American, Mm. right? On the other hand, you know, the market for the Bond films in Britain is only so much. I'm not saying mm. it's not much. You know, I'm sure it's very considerable. I'm sure it's it's a lot more than is proportional to the population. Yes, but if you're thinking of like a global market and you know how much the Bond films make in mm. you know uh, America and you know Germany and you know Japan or whatever. Yeah, so I think this is almost like a self-investment in a myth. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so sure. it's not it's not necessarily made for you. You know, and it's not necessarily made by you, which is why, again, this investment mm. in it becomes so fascinating, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, it fucking matters to people here. It does. But in the big and yet, picture. And yet, you know, uh, the money's not British. The distribution networks aren't British. The director isn't British. I don't know about the writers. I think the main two writers who've been doing it for the last seven films, I think they're British. Phoebe Waller-Bridge also worked on this. And the other writer was a director who's American. Um, so anyway, that's an mm. you know an interesting uh, twist to think about. Mm. Uh, but all of that said, I also liked it very much, and I recommend. Yeah, good it was fun. Yeah. So, <laughs> <Despite> the, the, <laughs> <laughs> so we we spent an hour dissing it, you know, for various reasons, um, you know. But uh, I think I think if you don't go in with two set expectations of what a Bond film is, you might enjoy it more. Yeah, that's probably a fair way to think about it. And don't go in expecting greatness because that's always that's just a guide for everything. Just have low expectations and you can only be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> on that note, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. Uh, on social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.